Volume 4, Queen Zixi of Ix. Chapter 10. The Counselors Wear the Magic Cloak. When Tollydob, still wearing the magic cloak, had bowed before the king, Bud asked, How many men are there in the royal army, General? 7,777, may it please your gracious majesty, returned Tollydob. That is, without counting myself. And do they obey your orders promptly? inquired Bud, who felt a little doubt to this point. Yes, indeed. They are terribly afraid of my anger, answered the general proudly. And yet you're a very small man to command so large an army, said the king. The Lord High General flushed with shame, for although he was both old and fat, he was so short of stature that he stood but a trifle taller than Bud himself, and like all short men he was very sensitive about his height. "'I am a terrible fighter, your majesty,' declared Tollydob earnestly, "'and when I am on horseback my small size is little noticed. Nevertheless,' he added with a sigh, it is a good thing to be tall. I wish I were ten feet tall. No sooner were the words spoken than Bud gave a cry of astonishment, for the general's head shot suddenly upward until his gorgeous hat struck the ceiling and was jammed down there tightly over the startled man's eyes and nose. The room was just ten feet high, and Tollydob was now ten feet tall. But for a time the old general could not think what had happened to him, and Bud, observing for the first time that Tollydop wore the magic cloak, began to shriek with laughter at the comical result of the old man's wish. Hearing the king's laugh, the general tore the hat from his head and looked at himself in mingled terror and admiration. From being a very small man he had suddenly become a giant— and the change was so great that Tollydob might well be amazed. "'What has happened, your majesty?' he asked in a trembling voice. "'Why, don't you see? You were wearing my sister's magic cloak,' said Bud, still laughing at the big man's woeful face, "'and it grants everywhere the fulfilment of one wish.' "'Only one?' inquired poor Tollydob. I'd like to be a little smaller, I confess. It can't be helped now, said Bud. You wish to be ten feet tall, and there you are. And there you'll have to stay, Tollydob, whether you like it or not. But I'm very proud of you. You must be the greatest general in all the world, you know. Tollydob brightened up at this, and tried to sit down in a chair. But it crushed to pieces under his weight. So he sighed and remained standing. Then he threw the magic cloak upon the floor, with a little shudder at its very powers, and said, If I'd only known, I might have become just six feet tall instead of ten. Oh, never mind, said Bud consolingly. If we ever have a war, you will strike terror into the ranks of the enemy, and everyone in Nolan will admire you immensely. Hereafter, you will not only be the Lord High General, but the Lord, very high general. So Tollydob went away to show himself to the chief counsellor, and he had to stoop very low to pass through the doorway. When Jicky saw the gigantic man coming out of the king's chamber, 
He gave a scream and fled in terror. Strange to say, this effect was very agreeable to the Lord High General, who loved to make people fear him. Bud ran to tell Fluff of the curious thing that had happened to his general. And so it was that when the Lord High Executioner entered the palace, there was no one around to receive him. He made his way into the king's chamber, and there he found the magic cloak lying upon the floor. "'I have seen the Princess Fluff wearing this,' thought the Lord High Executioner. "'So it must belong to her. I will take it to her rooms, for it is far too pretty to be lying around in this careless manner, and Jicky ought to be scolded for allowing it.' So Tellydeb picked up the cloak and laid it over his arm. Then he admired the bright hues that ran through the fabric, and presently his curiosity got the better of him. He decided to try it on and see how he would look in it. While thus employed, the sound of a girl's sweet laughter fell upon Tellydeb's ear, seeming to come from a far distance. "'The princess must be in the royal gardens,' he said to himself. "'I will go there and find her.' So the Lord High Executioner walked through the great hall, still wearing the cloak, and finally came to the back of the palace, and passed a doorway leading into the gardens. All was quiet here, save for the song of the birds as they fluttered among the trees. But at the other end of the garden, Tellydeb caught a glimpse of white gown, which he suspected might be that of the little princess. He walked along the path slowly, enjoying the scent of the flowers and the peacefulness of the scene. For the Lord High Executioner was a gentle-natured man, and delighted in beautiful things. After a time he reached a fruit orchard, and he saw hanging far up in a tree a fine red apple. Tellydeb paused and looked longingly at the apple. "'I wish I could reach that apple,' he said with a sigh as he extended his arm upward. Instantly the arm stretched toward the apple, which was at least forty feet away from the Lord High Executioner. And while the astonished man eyed his elongated arm in surprise, the hand clutched the apple, plucked it, and drew it back to him. And there he stood, the apple in his hand, and his arm apparently the same as it was before he accomplished this wonderful feat. For a moment the counsellor was overcome with fear. The cloak dropped unnoticed from his shoulders and fell upon the gravelled walk, while Tellydeb sank upon a bench and shivered. It, it was like magic, he murmured. I but reached out my hand, so it went nearly to the top of the tree, and, and... Here he gave a cry of wonder, for again... His arm stretched the distance and touched the topmost branches of the tree. He drew it back hastily and turned to see if anyone had observed him. But this part of the garden was deserted, so the old man eagerly tested this new accomplishment. He plucked a rose from a bush a dozen yards to his right, and having smelled its odour, placed it in a vase that stood twenty feet to his left. Then he noted a fountain far across a hedge and reaching the distance easily, dipped his hand into the splashing water. It was all very amazing, the sudden power to reach a great distance, and the Lord High Executioner was so pleased with the faculty 
that when he discovered old Jicky standing in the palace doorway, he laughingly fetched him a box on the ear that sent the valet scampering away to his room in amazed terror. Said Tellydeb to himself, Now I will go home and show my wife what a surprising gift I have acquired. So he left the garden, and not long afterwards, old Tallydab, the Lord High Steward, came walking down the path, followed by his little dog Ruffles. I am not certain whether it was because his coat was so shaggy, or his temper so uncertain, that Tallydab's dog was named Ruffles. But the name fitted both well. The looks and the disposition of the tiny animal. Nevertheless, the Lord High Steward was very fond of his dog, which followed him everywhere, except to the king's council chamber. And often the old man would tell Ruffles his troubles and worries, and talk to the dog just as one would to a person. Today, as they came slowly down the garden walk, Tallydab noticed a splendid cloak lying upon the path. "'How very beautiful!' he exclaimed as he stooped to pick it up. I have never seen anything like this since the Princess Fluff first rode into Knoll beside her brother the King. Is it not lovely, Ruffles? The dog gave a subdued yelp and wagged his stubby tail. How do I look in it, Ruffles? continued the Lord High Steward, wrapping the folds of the magic cloak about himself. How do I look in such gorgeous apparel? The dog stopped wagging its tail and looked up at the master earnestly. "'How do I look?' again said Tallydab. "'I declare I wish you could talk to me.' "'You look perfectly ridiculous!' replied the dog in a rather harsh voice. The Lord High Steward jumped nearly three feet in the air, so startled was he by Ruffles' reply. Then he bent down, a hand on each knee, and regarded the dog curiously. "'I thought at first you had spoken,' he said. "'What caused you to change your mind?' asked Ruffles peevishly. I did speak. I am speaking. Can't you believe it? The Lord High Steward drew a deep sigh of conviction. I believe it, he answered. I have always declared you were a wonderful dog, and now you have proved me right. Why, you are the only dog I have ever heard of who could talk. Except in fairy tales, said Ruffles calmly. Don't forget the fairy tales. I don't forget, replied Tallydab. "'But this is not a fairy tale, Ruffles. "'It is the real life in the kingdom of Noland.' "'To be sure,' answered Ruffles. "'But see here, dear master, "'now that I am at last able to talk, "'allow me to ask you for something decent to eat. "'I'd like a good meal for once, "'just to see what it's like.' "'A good meal?' exclaimed the steward. "'Why, my friend, don't I give you a big bone every day?' "'You do,' said the dog. "'but I nearly break my teeth on it, "'trying to crack it to get a little marrow out. "'I don't know what causes people to give their dogs bones. "'Why don't you give me meat?' "'But I thought you liked bones,' "'protested Tallydab, sitting on the bench, "'looking at his dog in astonishment. "'I don't. "'I prefer something to eat, "'something good and wholesome, like you eat,' growled Ruffles. "'The Lord High Steward gave a sigh. "'Why, don't you remember that old Mother Hubbard?' "'That was a fairy tale,' interrupted Ruffles impatiently. "'And there wasn't even a bone in her cupboard. "'Don't mention Mother Hubbard to me if you want to retain my friendship.' "'Oh, that reminds me,' resumed the steward with a scowl. 
A few minutes ago you said I looked ridiculous in this lovely cloak. You do, said Ruffles with a sniff. It's a girl's cloak, not fit for a wrinkled old man like you. I believe you are right, answered Tallydab with a sigh. He removed the cloak from his shoulders and hung it back over the garden seat. In regard to the meat you long for, he added, if you follow me to the royal kitchen, I will see that you have all you desire. Spoken like a good friend, <laughs> exclaimed the dog. Let's go. So they passed down the garden to the kitchen door, and the magic cloak which had wrought such wonderful things that day still remained neglectfully cast aside. It was growing dusk when old Tillydib, the Lord High Purse-Bearer, stole into the garden and sat upon the bench to smoke his pipe in peace. All the afternoon he had been worried by people with bills for this thing or that, and the royal purse was very light indeed when Tillydib had at last managed to escape to the garden. If this keeps up, he reflected, there will be no money left, and then I am sure I don't know what will become of us all. The air was chilly. The old councillor shivered a little, and noting the cloak that lay over the back of the seat, drew it about his shoulders. It will be five months he muttered half aloud, before we can tax the people for more money, and before five months are up, the king and his councillors may all starve to death, even in this splendid palace. Oh, my! I wish the royal purse would always remain full, no matter how much money I drew from it. The big purse, which had lain lightly on his knee, now slid off and pulled heavily upon the golden chain which the old man wore about his neck, to fasten the purse to him securely. Aroused from his anxious thoughts, Tillydib lifted the purse to his lap again and was astonished to feel its weight. He opened the clasp and saw the huge sack was actually running over with gold pieces. Now where on earth did all this wealth come from? he exclaimed, shaking his head in a puzzled way. I will go at once and pay some of the creditors who are waiting for me. So he ran to the royal treasury, which was a front room in the palace, and began paying everyone who presented an account. He expected presently to empty the purse, but no matter how heavily he drew upon its contents, it remained ever as full as in the beginning. It must be, thought the old man when the last bill had been paid, that my idle wish has in some mysterious way been granted. "'but he did not know he owed his good fortune "'to the magic cloak which he still wore. "'As he was leaving the room, "'he met the king and Princess Fluff, "'who were just coming in for dinner, "'and the girl exclaimed, "'Why, there is my cloak. "'Where did you get it from, Tillydib?' "'I found it in the garden,' "'answered the Lord High Purse-Bearer. "'But take it. It is yours. "'And here is something to repay you "'for the loan of it.' and he poured into her hands a heap of glittering gold. "'Why, thank you!' cried Fluff. Taking the precious cloak, she dropped the gold into it and carried it to her room. "'I'll never lend it again unless it is really necessary,' she said to herself. "'It was very careless of Aunt Rivette to leave my fairy cloak in the garden.' And then, after carefully folding it and wrapping it up, she locked it in a drawer, and hid the key where no one but herself could find it. 
Chapter 11 The Witch Queen It is not very far from the kingdom of Noland to the kingdom of Ix. If you follow the steps of Quavo the minstrel, you would climb the sides of a steep mountain range and go down on the other side and cross a broad and swift river and pick your way through a dark forest. You would then have reached the land of Ix and would find an easy path into the big city. But even before one came to the city, he would see the high marble towers of Queen Zixi's magnificent palace, and pause to wonder at its beauty. Quavo the minstrel had been playing his harp in the city of Knoll, and his eyes were sharp, so he had seen many things to gossip and sing about, and therefore never doubted he would be warmly welcomed by Queen Zixi. He reached the marble palace about dusk one evening, and was bidden to the feast which was about to be served. A long table ran down the length of the lofty hall, built in the centre of the palace, and this table was covered with gold and silver platters, bearing many kinds of fruits and meats and vegetables, while tall ornamented stands contained sweets and delicacies to tickle the palate. At the head of the table, on a jeweled throne, sat Queen Zixi herself, a vision of radiant beauty and charming grace. Her hair was yellow as spun gold, and her wondrous eyes raven black in hue. Her skin was fair as a lily, save where her cheek was faintly tinted with a flush of rose color. Dainty and lovely indeed was the Queen of Ix in appearance. Yet none of her laws or attendants cast more than a passing glance upon her beauty, for they were used to seeing her thus. There were greybeards at her table this evening who could remember the queen's rare beauty since they were boys, and who had been told by their fathers and grandfathers of Queen Zixi's loveliness when they were mere children. In fact, no one in Ix had ever heard of the time when the land was not ruled by the same queen, or when she was not in appearance as young and fair as she was to-day, which easily proves she was not an ordinary person at all. And I may as well tell you here that Queen Zixi, despite the fact that she looked to be no more than sixteen, was in reality six hundred and eighty-three years of age, and had prolonged her life in this extraordinary way by means of the arts of witchcraft, I do not mean by this that she was an evil person. She had always ruled her kingdom wisely and liberally, and the people of Ix made no manner of complaint against their queen. If there were a war, she led her armies in person, clad in golden mail and helmet, and in years of peace she taught them to sow and reap grain, and to fashion many useful articles of metal, and to build strong and substantial houses nor were her taxes ever more than the people could bear. Yet, for all this, Zixi was more feared than loved, for everyone remembered she was a witch, and also knew she was hundreds of years old. So no matter how amiable their queen might be, she was always treated with extreme respect, and folks weighed well their words when they conversed with her. Next to the queen, on both sides of the table, sat her most favoured nobles and their ladies. Farther down were the rich merchants and officers of the army, and at the lower end were servants and members of the household. 
for this was the custom in the land of Ix. Quavo the harper sat near the lower end, and when all had been comfortably fed, the queen called upon him for a song. This was the moment Quavo had eagerly awaited. He took his harp, seated himself in a niche of the wall, and, according to the manner of ancient minstrels, he sang of the things he had seen in other lands, thus serving his hearers with the news of the day, as well as pleasing them with his music. This is the way he began. Of Nolan now a tale I'll sing, Where reigns a strange youthful king, A boy who has by chance alone Been called upon to sit the throne. His sister shares his luck, and she, The fairy's friend, is said to be, For they did mystic arts invoke, And weak for her a magic cloak, Which grants its wearers, thus I'm told, Gifts more precious far than gold. She's but to wished her desire. Quite instantly she will acquire. And when she lends it to her friends, The favour unto them extends. For one who wears the cloak can fly Like any eagle in the sky. And one did wish by sudden freak His dog be granted power to speak, And now the beast can talk as well As I, and also read and spell, And— Stop! cried the queen with sudden excitement. Do you lie, minstrel, or are you speaking the truth? Secretly glad that his news was received thus eagerly, Quavo continued to twang the harp as he replied in verse— now may I die at break of day, if false is any word I say. And what is this cloak like, and who owns it? demanded the queen impetuously. Sang the minstrel, The cloak belongs to Princess Fluff. Tis woven of some secret stuff, Which makes it gleam with splendour bright, That fills beholders with delight. Thereafter, the beautiful Zixie remained lost in thought her dainty chin resting within the hollow of her hand, and her eyes dreamily fixed upon the minstrel. And Quavo, judging that his news had brought him into rare favour, told more and more wonderful tales of the magic cloak, some of which were true, while others were mere inventions of his own, for newsmongers, as everyone knows, are ever unable to stick to facts since the world began. All the courtiers and officers and servants listened with wide eyes and parted lips to the song, marvelling greatly at what they heard. And when it was finally ended, and the evening spent, Queen Zixi threw a golden chain to the minstrel as a reward, and left the hall attended by her maidens. Throughout the night which followed, she tossed sleeplessly upon her bed, thinking of the magic cloak and longing to possess it. And when the morning sun rose over the horizon, she made a solemn vow that she would secure the magic cloak within a year, even if it cost her half her kingdom. Now the reason for this rash vow, showing Zixi's intense desire to possess the cloak, was very peculiar. Although she had been an adept at witchcraft for more than six hundred years, and was able to retain her health, and remain in appearance young and beautiful, there was one thing her art was unable to deceive, and that one thing was a mirror. 
To mortal eyes, Zixi was charming and attractive, yet her reflection in a mirror showed her as an old, ugly hag, bald of head, wrinkled, with toothless gums and withered, sunken cheeks. For this reason, the queen had no mirror of any sort around the palace. Even from her own dressing-room, the mirror had been banished, and she depended upon her maids and hairdressers to make her look as lovely as possible. She knew she was beautiful in appearance to others. Her maids declared it continually, and in all the eyes around her she read true admiration. But Zixi wanted to admire herself, and that was impossible. So long as the cold mirror showed her reflection to be the old hag, others would have also seen had her arts of witchcraft not deceived them. Everything else a woman and a queen might desire, Zixi was able to obtain by her arts. Yet the one thing she could not have made her very unhappy. As I have already said, she was not a bad queen. She used her knowledge of sorcery to please her own fancy and to benefit her kingdom, but never to injure anyone else. So she may be forgiven for wanting to see a beautiful girl reflected in a mirror instead of a haggard old woman in her 684th year. Zixi had given up all hope of ever accomplishing her object until she heard of the magic cloak. The powers of witches are somewhat limited, but she knew the powers of fairies are boundless. So, if the magic cloak could grant any human wish, as Quavo's song had told her was the case, she would manage to secure it, and would at once wish for a reflection in the mirror of the same features all others beheld, and then she would become happy and content. Chapter 12 Zixi Disguises Herself Now, as might be expected, Queen Zixi lost no time in endeavoring to secure the magic cloak. The people of Ix were not on friendly terms with the people of Noland, so she could not visit Princess Fluff openly, and she knew it was useless to try to borrow so priceless a treasure as a cloak which had been the gift of the fairies. But one way remained to her, to steal the precious robe. So she began her preparations by telling her people she would be absent from Ix for a month, and then she retired to her own room, and mixed by the rules of witchcraft a black mess in a silver kettle, and boiled it until it was as thick as molasses. Of this inky mixture she swallowed two teaspoons every hour for six hours, muttering an incantation each time. At the end of six hours her golden hair had become brown, and her black eyes had become blue, and this was quite sufficient to disguise the pretty queen so that no one would recognize her. Then she took off her richly embroidered queenly robes and hung them up in a closet, putting on a simple gingham dress, a white apron, and a plain hat, such as common people of her country wore. When these preparations had been made, Zixi slipped out the back door of her palace and walked through the city to the forest, and although she met many people, no one suspected that she was the queen. 
It was rough walking in the forest, but she got through at last and reached the bank of the river. Here a fisherman was found who consented to ferry her across in his boat, and afterwards Zixi climbed the high mountain and came down the other side into the kingdom of Noland. She rented a neat little cottage just at the north gateway of the city of Knoll, and by the next morning there was a sign over the doorway which announced, Miss Trust's Academy of Witchery for Young Ladies. Then Zixi had printed on green paper a lot of handbills which read as follows, Miss Trust, a pupil of the celebrated Professor Hatrack, of Hooktown on the Creek, is now located at Woodbine Villa, north gateway of Knoll, and is prepared to teach young ladies of this city the arts of witchcraft, according to the most modern and approved methods. Terms moderate, references required. These handbills she hired a little boy to carry to all the aristocratic houses in Knoll, and to leave one on each doorstep. Several were left at different doorsteps of the palace, and one of these came to the notice of Princess Fluff. "'How funny!' she exclaimed, reading it. "'I'll go and take all my eight maids with me. It will be no end of fun to learn to be a witch!' Many other people in Nod applied for instruction in Miss Trust's Academy, but Zixi told them all she had no vacancies. When, however, Fluff and her maids arrived, she welcomed them with the utmost cordiality, and consented to give them their first lesson at once. When she had seated them in her parlour, Zixi said, "'If you wish to be a witch, you must speak an incantation. You must, with deliberation, say, "'The when of why is witch.' "'What does that mean?' asked Fluff. "'No one knows,' answered Zixi. "'And therefore it is a fine incantation. Now, all the class will please repeat after me the following words. Erigamarol, erigamarie, jiggernot, juggernit, que jiggerjurie, simmerkin, samarkin, semmermagoo, zillipop, zellipop, lollipop-loo. They tried to do this, but their tongues stumbled constantly over the syllables, and one of the maids began to laugh. "'Stop laughing, please!' cried Zixi, rapping her ruler on the table. "'This is no laughing matter. I assure you, young ladies, the science of witchcraft is a solemn and serious study, and I cannot teach it to you unless you behave.' "'But what is it all about?' asked Fluff. "'I'll explain what it's about tomorrow,' said Zixi with dignity. "'Now here are two important incantations which you must learn by heart,' before you come to tomorrow's lesson. If you can speak them correctly and rapidly, and above all distinctly, I will then allow you to perform a wonderful witchery. She handed them each a slip of paper on which were written the incantations as follows. Incantation number one. To be spoken only in the presence of a black cat. This is that, and that is this. Bliss is blessed, and blessed is bliss. Who is that, and what is who? Shed is shod, and shod is shoe. Incantation number two. To be spoken when the clock strikes twelve. What is which, 
and which is what. Pat is pet, and pit is pat. Hid is hide, and hod is hid. Did is deed, and done is did. Now, there is one more thing, continued Zixi, and this is very important. You must each wear the handsomest and most splendid cloak you can secure when you come to see me tomorrow morning. This request made Princess Fluff thoughtful all the way home, for she at once remembered her magic cloak, and wondered if the strange mistrust knew she possessed it. She asked Bud about it that night, and the young king said, I'm afraid this witch-woman is someone trying to get hold of your magic cloak. I would advise you not to wear it when she is around, or more than likely she may steal it. So Fluff did not wear her magic cloak the next day, but selected in its place a pretty blue cape edged in gold. When she and her maids reached the cottage, Zixi cried out angrily, This is not your handsomest cloak. Go home at once and get the other one. I won't said Fluff shortly. "'You must, you must!' insisted the witch-woman. "'I can teach you nothing unless you wear the other cloak.' "'How did you know I had another cloak?' asked the princess suspiciously. "'By witchcraft, perhaps,' said Zixi mildly. "'If you want to be a witch, you must wear it.' "'Well, I don't want to be a witch,' declared Fluff. "'Come, girls, let's go home at once.' "'Wait, wait!' implored Zixi eagerly. If you'll get the cloak, I will teach you the most wonderful things in the world. I will make you the most powerful witch that ever lived. I don't believe you, replied Fluff. And then she marched back to the palace with all her maids. But Zixi knew her plot had failed, so she locked up her cottage and went back again to Ix, climbing the mountain, crossing the river, and threading the forest with angry thoughts and harsh words. Yet the queen was ever more determined to secure the magic cloak. As soon as she had re-entered her palace, and by more incantations had again transformed her hair to yellow and her eyes to black, and dressed herself in her royal robes, she summoned her generals and counselors and told them to make ready to war upon the kingdom of Noland. 